0: power hour a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous as always this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language adult themes and sexual content if you are sensitive to these things we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now this month we are reading one last stop by casey mcquiston this is part one of one last stop this podcast will contain spoilers through chapter eight if you want to read along with us stop listening now it's okay we'll wait for you to come back this book contains themes of homophobic and police violence, the AIDS crisis, racism, childhood neglect, and arson. You have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlyn. I'm one
1: of
2: your hosts, Sydney. And I'm the other talkie woman, Lauren. Now
0: get ready to get raunchy.
2: Hey, Sydney, you remember last episode when I told you I had a question to ask you, and then said we'd save it for next time. Well, I remembered it. And I think it's a good one. Hold your horses. Hold. I don't think you're ready for this. I'm holding the horses. Nay, nay. All right. (laughs) If you had to commit crimes of public indecency and intimacy on a form of public transportation, And get creative with it. We're not limited to train, bus, plane. Any form of public transportation, what would it be and why? And bonus question, what would you be doing? (laughs) You know, Lauren, I've never thought of this before.
1: (laughs) So I'm a little stumped. Let me think.
2: You mean you don't consider this on a daily basis? What? (laughs) I don't ponder thinking about what
3: form of public transportation I would like to get um, down with it on. But if I had to choose.
1: Hmm. You kind of took most of. Oh, maybe I would do a.
2: Like a trolley, like one of those trolleys that are on rails. (laughs) Like a public city trolley doer for tourists. Well, you said it had to be public transport <laughs> transportation.
3: A valid, you know, that <gasps> trolley. You know what? You- no, 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 no. I take it back. Helicopter.
1: Yes. Is, I, question,
2: are you the pilot or is someone else the pilot? Someone else is the pilot. Are you hooking up with the pilot or is it you and a third party?
3: Nah me and a third party and pilot is just doing it because yeah they just like to fly helicopters they're not even interested in the sex (laughs) they're like i just wanna i've never seen other people get to cloud nine this way so i'm intrigued
2: and they've paid me enough money (laughs) hey you know what helicopter is a very valid answer and i think christian gray and anastasia whatever her last name was would agree ah shit did they already have sex on a helicopter <laughs> i don't think they i don't think they smashed on a helicopter but they definitely went on like a bougie little helicopter ride because he was like let me show you a good time and then he took her on a date and all, that's I, all can- I remember from that movie
3: All I can think is the tune of a magic carpet ride, but it's a helicopter ride, a whole new world. And she's just like (laughs) a dazzling place of things to see. And he's just like, yep.
2: But I'm looking at you, baby, because I'm not the street urchin. You are. (laughs) And in the background, instead of like beautiful symphony music, it's just the chopper going like.
3: (laughs) It's just helicopter noises.
1: (laughs) I love it. Oh,
2: well, to give my own answer to this. I don't know if this is really considered public transportation, maybe once a yonder time ago. But I've been watching Good Charlotte, not Good Charlotte. Oh, my God. Queen (laughs) Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Queen Charlotte recently. And, you know, I'm getting into the Bridgerton universe. And I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is. I love a good horseback riding lesson and hear me out out. is what you think in lieu of riding the horses because that's animal cruelty (laughs) we'll just hang out in the stables for a little bit and then we'll catch our horse and ride away into the sunset
1: what about in the carriage
3: welcome to the raunchy (laughs) Well, I was about to say, Lauren, if you're getting into Bridgerton,
2: just wait to season three. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. But speaking of public transportation and sexy times, Sydney, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book that we read this month? I can
3: definitely do that.
2: So this month for, by the way,
3: happy pride for everyone who who celebrates. Happy Pride. Uh, Happy
4: Pride.
3: We chose to read One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston because we were like, we want to read something which isn't just a straight hetero couple. So we're going to switch it up a bit. But One Last Stop is Casey McQuiston's second published novel. And they typically write queer romance and new adult fiction novels. So... (laughs) for some background information this is all according to wikipedia by the way so take all my knowledge with a grain of salt but McQuiston was apparently inspired to do the time travel aspect by the outlander tv series and in an interview with insider they said they were inspired to set the story on a subway because they kind of see, and I quote, public transportation is a liminal space where your life crosses paths with another person's life like five million times for half a second. So that's kind of where they come up with the idea for One Last Stop. But following in the footsteps of their first book, which was Red, White and Royal Blue, One Last Stop has received a lot of positive reviews. Um, with NPR even saying one last stop is an electrifying romance that's synapses synapses into the dreamy hot person summer kind of story story that you wish you were part of, which I will second that NPR quote. <laughs> um, but one last stop is nominated for the Goodreads Choice Awards for best romance of 2021, where it placed third overall. Uh, and the book has been placed 6th in the book page Top 10 Romance novels, uh, novels of 2021. It also came out in the year 2019, I believe, if, I'm, if I wrote that down correctly. Let me double check that.
1: First edition was 2021. Never mind. LOL. My Contributions...
2: Incredible. Oh, is that all you had for background?
3: Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Sorry, that was on me. (laughs) (laughs) See, Lauren, this is what happens if you
2: (laughs) read our document before we record. Listen, I have it open. I just, I'm (gasps) distracted by the Freddy Fazbear GIF in our (laughs) (laughs) chat. I had to close out of it because I got so distracted. (laughs) Well, I certainly enjoyed this novel a lot, which was such a wonderful winning streak of coming off the heels of something like social distance, which all three of us, I think I can say unanimous, unanimously, excuse me, very much enjoyed. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really, really nice to sort of carry that enjoyment, at least for me, into a second novel that has a more like diverse, like LGBTQ kind of angle. Um, last book was obviously a multicultural diversity, which was absolutely lovely and refreshing and highly recommend you listen to that interview with June Yee if you haven't already to hear her perspective and inspiration on that. And again, driving that momentum to hear something that's more queer romance. And this is my personal first time ever reading a queer romantic novel. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. What are your thoughts, Sydney?
3: I also very thoroughly enjoyed it. But I also have experience with McQuiston's writing style because I have read uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue. It was a while ago, but I, I remember very much enjoying it. And honestly, reading this book makes me want to go back and re-experience uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue before that comes out um, on Netflix. Not Netflix, Amazon soon. But this is... I have also not read many here romance books and i definitely want to read more like professionally published i've read fanfictions fictions and stuff like that but nothing not as many traditionally published works and i also thoroughly enjoyed it and i i will say i fell in love with these characters very quickly and just loved all of their connections as characters overall yes Two really great books that we've read so far, and I'm scared we're going to break our streak.
2: (laughs) Knock on wood, but you actually bring up a very good segue. Do you want to briefly introduce the main cast of characters for One Last Stop that we'll be talking about?
3: Yes, I can. So we have got our first two love interests, and we have August, who is our... Sociology major slash pseudo detective who is very in the beginning is very. I want to say anxious, she's so anxious and I love her, but she's very logical, no whimsy whatsoever and very closed off from the people around her and then kind of blooms into this really cool amazing just like caring person. And then we have Jane who is our mystery woman who August is very interested in. But she is I mean, she's just hot. Um she's a very caring charismatic character. She's kind of a bad girl, very alternative. And what I think is also very important and what I love about Jane's character and what's brought out a lot through her character is that she is Asian and that she has Asian roots and a lot of her culture is spoken to like throughout the book. And I don't know. I just love I love that connection to her as character because it is a big part of who she is. Um, And then we've got a lot of our so these characters I kind of consider side characters, but they're not like their their main characters in their own right honestly if these characters had their own book i would be so down anyway so we have nico who is one of the four uh three of august roommates uh and is a partner to Mila. he is a psychic part-time um and a bartender terrible also part-time uh <laughs> we've got Mila, who is the love interest to nico And she is an artist uh from a electrical engineer. So she left her, she left being an electrical engineer to pursue the arts. And I love her. She is I fell in love with her um instantly. And then we have Wes, who is the last of the four roommates. Um, and he is a tattoo artist, he is the owner of Noodles the Dog. Um, we don't get a lot of introdu- introduction of Noodles, but whenever he did come into a scene, I was like, heck yeah, Noodles is back. But he is just a very anxious and sad boy. And he he doesn't believe he deserves love. He so does. Sweet little baby angel. And then we've got some of our other minor, which are more minor characters. Um, so we have Isaiah, a.k.a. Annie Depressant, who is the drag queen neighbor from across the hall. <laughs> I love her with all my being. And she is very much in love with Wes, and Wes is also in love with her. And then we have August's mom, whose name is Suzette. She's kind of she's very crime obsessive and very has a lot of trauma, which she has passed down to her daughter. And we'll discuss her more throughout the book. And then we have her missing brother Augie, who August is named after. And through majority of the book, we just know that he's missing. And we know he was very kind and impactful on Suzette's life, but that's kind of all we know. And then um, I just kind of group them together, but we have the Billy's crew, and Billy's is the pancake house that um August works at, and they become a big part of this book, but I've
1: kind of all grouped them together.
2: Awesome. Thank you for that crash course in our character list. And I think that is a brilliant segue into finally unfolding the interesting and surprisingly convoluted plot of One Last Stop. A couple of preferences, excuse me, prefaces before we get started. Uh, one being that at the start of each chapter of this book, there are often little snippets of like newspaper clippings, advertisements, forum posts, you name it, that really kind of contextualize sort of bits and pieces of our two main characters that Sydney will be uh, taking and sort of describing at the beginning of each chapter summary. Uh, The second thing to preface is that, as I mentioned, this book is surprisingly convoluted. I going into this did not expect a lot of the plot elements that did occur. And so if I'm probably going to be describing More of the broad stroke elements of what happened chapter per chapter, in part because there is a lot to cover and we would be here all day if we did. But also because I highly encourage readers to go seek this book out if they haven't already. The Quiston is a very talented author and clearly does a really good job of weaving romance with a really interesting and momentous kind of plot uh, that I think is definitely worth the read. So I'll try to spare the details where I can. But without further ado... Sydney, let's kick us off with chapter one. All right. So
3: our description at the beginning of chapter one, it literally reads, taped to a trash can inside the Popeye's Louisiana kitchen at the corner of Parkside and Flatbush Avenue. (laughs) But it's basically seeking single roommate. So this is, uh, yep, seeking single roommate. Sixth floor, 700 month, must be queer and trans friendly, Uh, must not be afraid of fire or dogs. No Libras. We already have one called Nico.
2: (laughs) And that is the cold open to chapter one. We zoom out from this advertisement to meet August Landry, our main character, who I have so lovingly and probably inaccurately described as quote being 23 Virgo, in parentheses, but not quite sure at the start. Introvert, big fan of Popeyes, from New Orleans, quirky inner monologue, ongoing cold case of the family, and self-described as, quote, a sad virgin. So that is August. August checks out this advertisement and is immediately going to tour this cheap, artsy, Brooklyn loft-style apartment um, that was posted for rent by... Well, at the time when we were first introduced to him, quote, a pretentious, hipster, self proclaimed psychic guy named Nico, who is also described as a Danny Zuko lookalike, I like to throw in, who requests to, quote, immediately get her vibe through a sense of touch. It's kind of a weird, almost electric moment between Nico and August, because when he touches her hand, there's sort of like this shadowy, dawning look that goes over his face, where he doesn't quite want to say what he feels, but both of them kind of in that moment know that... This is going to be an interesting connection, but we'll call back to that later. Then we're introduced to the two other residents of this bungalow, Mila, who is Nico's partner, who is, I believe, kind of organizing a set of creepy bones when we were first introduced to her. Um, as Sydney mentioned, yeah. she's sort of like a makeshift artist. Um, and my association with her right off the bat was, quote, creepy bone girl. That image <laughs> definitely changed. Um, and then Wes, who we already mentioned, is a tattoo artist, uh, sort of more of an introvert, like, I'd argue a little more of like an anxious type personality between Nico and Myla, uh, who also comes in tow with Noodle the Poodle, who... Now, throwback to our social distance review. Noodle the poodle in hindsight reminds me a lot of Gabe's bike in the sense that it was a really big draw-in at the beginning of the book and then just seemingly disappeared for the rest of the novel. Sorry for anyone that's excited to meet Noodle the Poodle. They're gone. I don't know what happened to them. Sydney, where do you think Noodle the Poodle went? I think Noodle the Poodle.
3: Considering that Wes is a tattoo artist and probably works at night. I think Noodle the Poodle uh, probably hung out with Maya the most or just like hung around the apartment or did what a lot of, I think, characters in books kind of do when they're not mentioned for a while. They just kind of fade out of existence and then pop back into existence when they're relevant in the (gasps) storyline. Oh, oh, or maybe Noodle the Poodle got stuck in time and he was (laughs) flickering in and out.
2: (gasps) See, that's a much nicer answer than I was going to give. I was going to say Noodle the Poodle got locked in the elevator between Popeye's <laughs> and the residence building and was never heard from again.
3: What if Noodle the Poodle is, is the Popeye's? <laughs> Does that
2: make sense? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit.
3: Honestly, <laughs> I want to believe Noodles the Poodle went to live with Isaiah because he was just like, you, you and Wes need to get together.
2: I like that. If I owned a Tumblr blog, I'd say that's headcanon. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, Noodle the Poonol shall shall forever be memorialized in Isaiah's apartment, but for all intents and purposes, kind of irrelevant. I'm sorry, Poochie Pal. From there... Uh, August decides to take the apartment, and we are then introduced to her mom, Suzette Landry, through a FaceTime call where she is showing off this apartment to her mother. We also learn that her mother is a single mother that is working with New Orleans PD to uncover some sort of cold case murder in the family. There's been little progress thus far in a very frustrating PI that she's been working with, and Suzette is getting incredibly annoyed. We mm-hmm. transition to the next scene where August basically is moving in uh, to this bungalow with very few belongings, which earns kind of weird looks from Mila and the dog Noodle, who apparently quote shoves his tongue down her throat. The most important role that Noodle plays. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the roommates immediately invite her out for pancakes at a place down the street called Billy's, um, which I uh, basically you missed mm-hmm. the full name it's pancake billy's house of pancakes oh my my apologies
3: you gotta say the full name
2: pancake billy's house of pancakes <laughs> pancake billy's house of pancakes so p pb p, hop. hop yeah noted close enough <laughs> That's actually funny that you bring that up, because in my notes for this chapter, I wrote, quote, roommates invite her out for pancakes at what I would assume is, quote, the North's version of a mom and pop Waffle House or IHOP.
3: <laughs> That's not a terrible.
2: I was imagining a Waffle House setup. So. Oh, 100 percent. New York. I mean, in the novel, it was described as the uh, sort of like cafe from Seinfeld. And for those of you who don't know uh i my family's actually such a huge fan of seinfeld this was like the show that i was raised on that my middle name is actually elaine named after elaine bennis so that was the picture i rolled with for What? The the Lord, you didn't know i that? didn't know host reveal hashtag oh i don't know what I you know the, the, more the more you know, you know. <laughs> indeed so we're at the Seinfeld Cafe, and it's very obvious that Mila and Nico very much are warming up to August almost immediately. But she seems very reluctant and hesitant to make friends with them. Just kind of her past of like moving around a bit, not really deciding kind of like who she is and what she wants. And she's we kind of gather afraid to let people in. But, you know, she opens her doors anyway, assuming, well, I've got to live with these people. Might as well be friendly. At this uh, luncheon, she basically explains that she came to New York to switch schools for a third time. And Nico surmises that this is because the past two schools, quote, weren't challenging enough for her. At first, August agrees, but we sort of later uncovered that that's maybe not necessarily the case. Now, for some godforsaken reason in a blur of audiobook that I don't quite remember, Myla volunteers August as a potential new hire for Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes. And one of the employees named Winfield directs her to a, quote, severe looking woman at the counter named Lucy, um, who says, quote, you know, well, I'm fine with it, but you'll have to go through Lucy first. Reluctantly, August agrees to fill out the application and is working a shift at Billy's pretty much that same week. Yep. There's a quick. Oh, yeah. There's a quick jump in time and she's off to her first day at. Uh. Sorry, let me backtrack. I lost my place. Uh, there's a quick little time jump. And August is off to her first day at Columbia, which is where she is starting her sociology degree. Uh, she's also. Yes. Smart big smarty pants. Indeed. She started work at the diner and quote, kind of hates it, but she's hyper independent and can save crying for a different time. <laughs> Relatable. Um <laughs> But by God, will she get on that subway line in time, despite the fact that she's reeks of pancakes and she's really late? And oh, my God, I'm sweating and I don't want to go to this job. And she slips on some ice on the sidewalk and ends up spilling coffee all over the front of her shirt, which is a wonderful start for her first day. Now, Sydney, has this ever happened to you? <laughs> Probably too many times to count, honestly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm clumsy and late a lot (laughs) i'm trying to be better that's okay you know what everybody makes mistakes and everybody has those days what if they're every other day
2: (laughs) i guess you just have a lot of days yep oh man have you ever like build something on yourself before an important event or like had to do a quick wardrobe change of any kind? I
3: have had to do that before. I'm trying to think of what was a time when I had to do that recently. I don't think I've had to do it like super recently, but I have had to like switch out of something real quick and get into something
2: else.
0: Hmm. See for me, I don't really spill stuff
2: on me as much as I'm just a profuse sweater. Um, I'm a very mm-hmm. sweaty gal, and not even in like the quirky social media, like I'm sweaty. like, no. Um, <laughs> I didn't know niurking you and <throat> sweating. <laughs> oh, listen, Listen, it's everywhere. People be like, "I'm a sweaty girl." And, but right? and I'm like, you don't know sweat until you have put deodorant under your arms, and then the second you get stressed or nervous about something, you've sweated it off in 30 minutes, and then you smell like a barn you don't know sweaty i
3: i didn't know there was a trend of quirky girls who was sweating
2: <laughs> maybe it's, i'm just on sweat girl tiktok maybe I don't know. you are because i've never heard of this i hate to tell you <laughs> <laughs> i've exposed a lot about myself on this podcast and i'm so sorry for everyone that knows me <laughs> <laughs> thank you i appreciate the apology <laughs> You're so welcome. And you want to know who else was probably embarrassed to be known by the outer world? August. August is hella embarrassed. She is like, great, I'm going to start my first day at school with coffee all over my shirt. I'm running late for this train. How much worse can this day get? She gets on the Q train bound for Columbia and is, quote, (laughs) crying into her coffee tits. It's the best quote in the book. I'm sorry. Have to say it. Yep. When all of a sudden she sees, quote, a pair of long legs standing before her. A tall, dark, handsome butch woman stands before her and says the most romantic line you've ever heard. Yikes. (laughs) Basically, they have a brief exchange. Oh, do what?
3: I will say, I will argue. I thought you were going to say this line, which is. She can't believe a tall butch subway angel saw her crying into
0: her coffee tits.
2: See, if I had a paper copy of this book, I definitely would have. I was listening to this shit on 2x speed on an audiobook, and my fingers were flying. I was like, "Ah, coffee tits. You're like, got it, go. (laughs) Go, go, go. That is such a good quote, though. But yes. This woman is staring at her coffee tits and says, yikes. And they have a basically a brief little exchange where this woman is kind of like poking fun at her uh, for, you know, like looking this way. But like is saying, it's all right. And, you know, August is really embarrassed about it. Just obsessing over the fact that this woman is so hot and she has to stare at her like this. And oh, my God, this day can get any worse. When the girl hands her a red scarf to cover the coffee stain. And after some back and forth, August is like, no, I don't want to take this from you. She's like, please, I insist, blah, blah, blah. When they trade hands and August finally takes the scarf, there's an electric shock that sort of passes between their hands. And before we know it, the chapter ends with the subway being plunged into darkness. And this girl, the, the handsome, beautiful butch woman that gave the red scarf, magically disappearing. And that is the end of chapter 1. Sydney, how did you feel about this opening? What are we what are our thoughts about our main characters? So, my first impression of August was literally just like, "Oh, sweet
3: poor angel. You've been through something, haven't you?" Just cuz you could tell like how closed off she was. And I was really interested to see how she would react and create relationships with people who warmed up to her very quickly. So especially with Myla and Nico, I kind of knew from the beginning I would like them. And I'll be honest, I loved the meet cute. I loved it. I loved them, Jane and August meeting for the first time. Mm. And I don't know, I just I really enjoyed the chapter. And I knew going in that this was going to be a, kind of like a sci-fi thing. So I wasn't like shocked when Jane suddenly disappeared. but I was intrigued to see
1: why.
2: Mmm. See, on the note of like, you knowing this was going to be a sci-fi-type novel, I believe Ash and you as well, I believe both of us kind of went in relatively blind to this i i mean certainly for me i was not expecting any kind of like magical realism or sci-fi element to this book and so when jade like flat out disappeared i went from being like okay you know this will probably be like a a cute kitschy kind of romance to being like excuse me but the actual fuck
3: (laughs) i think that's a really Mm -hmm. great point to bring up yeah because that magical realism really like it kind of smacks you in the face and you're like oh Oh, this
2: isn't a normal romance. Okay, I'm intrigued. It's like there's substance outside of the making out. What? I'm not used to this. (laughs) What is this? It's not just (laughs) straight up porn. What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is this place?
3: (laughs) Character growth?
1: Character growth. (gasps) Fully realized
2: characters? Oh, shit. With things going on outside of each other? Plot? <laughs> oh my God. But speaking of plot, what does our news article from Chapter 2 say? So
3: from Chapter 2, we have an opening from... I wrote down newspaper. I assume it's probably an online article. But it's a headline about talking about the queue, the queue line, which is the line August takes running late. Due to sudden electrical malfunctions. And in the bottom, we have a caption that talks about Jane being featured within the photo.
1: Thank you very much. You're welcome. I kind of sounded like Elvis, and I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 I feel more. Absolutely not.
2: I veto that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously some shit's going on going down with this subway girl. But to be determined, because right now we're back at Billy's. August is having a absolute dumpster fire, rough time at work. She states that she's never had any kind of serving experiences prior to this. And the regulars that... Go to Billy's very often are expecting kind of that usual level of service of like, hey, you know, can I get my usual and her being new? She doesn't know the usual, obviously. And there's just a lot of stress piling on top of her compounded by Lucy, who, while initially is kind of severe and critical of August's performance. We do kind of see for the first time in chapter two that Lucy sort of has a very caring undertone uh, that belies that harsh exterior. She's kind of giving off like mothering energy and that she really insists that August eats and takes breaks as needed. And usually she'll correct her mistakes, of course. And it's kind of a harsh criticism, but it's not really without much complaint. She's not griping about having to fix August's mistakes and really acknowledges that learning curve there. And so this was the part where I started to sort of raise my eyebrows and I was like, Is Lucy going to be an important character? What were Mm -hmm. your thoughts, Cindy? I'll be honest. I did not.
3: I did not think she would be an important character. And it wasn't until later that I actually started writing their names down. But I'm kind of glad that there's this inclusion of a work family as well. And kind of how they took August under their wings
2: in a way. Hmm. Very true. I think I think for me, because I do have that background with Seinfeld and they're obviously drawing very clear connections for me, it felt almost like sitcom of like almost mm-hmm. like Friends. I've never seen Friends, full disclosure, but I imagine this is what Friends like kind of a similar vibe to it. I don't know.
3: I was like, OK, Lucy, hey. Mother, I would say, <laughs> I would say more Mila, Wes, Nico and August are more Friends. Like, the actual, like, Friends sitcom. And I, um, having not seen Seinfeld, I think the Billy's crew maybe more leans towards that.
2: Or um
3: the Cheers group.
2: Oh, there we go. We found common ground. I've also seen Cheers. There we go. We found it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, during August break, leaving the Cheers bar. But on. <laughs> She she basically spots uh, Nico's bar that he works at, but sort of like kind of runs a psychic shop at the same time, kind of like side hustle concurrently using the space. Very interesting IMO. But this makes her think back to her childhood growing up in New Orleans with her mom and how following this like mysterious cold case murder in the family that we still don't really know much about just sort of recalling the times when her mother would drag her around to see different psychics in the area asking about this missing relative. And oftentimes they were told that this relative was dead and ultimately they just stopped seeing psychics. It's discouraging denial question mark. We don't really know. And we're left with mm-hmm. a lot of questions.
3: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause at this point I actually wrote down, um, August reflects why she only believes in like hard facts talking about, um, the psychics, and I put in parentheses, maybe a parent passed, and they and her mom can't get past her grief or the trauma of it
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. no, it definitely read as denial to me of like, yes, you're seeking help, but you're not really liking the answers unless they fit within your desired reality. Yeah. And grief is absolutely something very difficult to deal with. I do not blame them in the slightest. Um, but it definitely was interesting. It, it offered a lot of unique characterization for sure. A hundred percent. So on August's way home from her shift, she basically gets locked out from the bungalow and jiggles a lot with a knife, typical New York fashion, I assume, uh, and meets Wes who for the first time, or sorry, well, she meets Wes for the first time. We've, she's been introduced to him verbally, but this is her first like meet cute, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> We learned basically Wes is, Wes is not the most verbose, to put it that way. He has been fixing the creaky hinges on August's door, like without saying anything to her about it. She just comes home and he's there and he's like, you broke in with a knife? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I fixed your hinges, by. And then disappears into his cave, which I wish I had a ruby like that.
1: <laughs> That's the silence I crave oh you don't
3: want your cat around screaming all the time she's like a toddler
2: i don't need i don't need another life form in my in my life that requires caring i like the silence okay <laughs> <laughs> that's that's enough about me um so uh shortly after Mila, august and noodle the poodle and I believe his last appearance ever, uh, walked to the park. Uh, Myla reveals that she went to Columbia for electrical engineering, but doesn't really like the career life of an engineer. And that's ultimately what drove her towards pursuing art. After this like conversation, August then boards the Q train again and sees, quote, subway girl. And she calls her coffee girl. It's a really cute exchange. We don't know their I name. I love it. I love it. It's so good. And the audiobook, that the reader for that book, I wish I knew her name, but the, the reader for that book has such a good voice and there's a distinct tone that she would use. And it was always coffee girl. Like it was so good. But at this point, we're kind of starting to learn a little bit more about Subway Girl. Uh, she reveals that she used to wait tables at Pancake Billy's and invented this sandwich called the Sue's Sandwich Special. And Subway Girl also emphasizes that Billy's is, quote, a magic place. They exchange names and we finally learn that Subway Girl is named Jane Sue. Now, despite her fondness for Pancake Billies, she doesn't really visit anymore. But over the next month or so, August will make a point to start boarding the Q train on her route to and from Columbia for the sole purpose of seeing Jane the subway girl. And that's kind of where Chapter Two ends. What are your thoughts about Chapter Two and Miss Jane Sue? I fell in love with Jane from the moment I started reading about her.
3: Uh, actually, one of the questions I have later I will bring up. Um, but I I mean, I really loved I really liked that this it's this book, I would argue, is more of a slow burn, kind of like it's me, it's between medium and slow pace because you really get a sense of time of these characters are learning each other's personalities and getting to know each other like it's not a whirlwind quick romance which i really enjoy and mm. yeah i mean i i was at this point i was i was fully hooked chapter t- chapter two got me in i was like oh i'm intrigued gotta keep going
2: what about mm. you i so I was definitely enjoying the book. I, I want to preface this so far. I wasn't quite sold on them so far as mm-hmm. like perspective love interests. Not that I was against it, but I was still kind of like, this is an interesting pair. This feels very opposites attract to me, but not in the way of like compliments per se. At this point in time, at least more Jane seems very different than what I would expect August's type to be, uh, especially because I wrote in my notes that Jane is, quote, 24, a charming extrovert, unironically sports retro headphones and cassettes, dresses kind of like Ponyboy from The Outsiders with a leather jacket. Um, so sort of, to me, in my opinion, it was like a very stark contrast to August. And I was like, this could be cute, but I need to see more. I want to know more.
3: Opposites attract, man.
2: Listen, I used to tell myself that all the time in high school. Any of you ex boyfriends listening? Don't. Oh, oh no. <laughs> There's many of them. I, I used to say that all the time. I'd be like, Lauren, it's okay. I know you're just completely different, like night and day, but it'll work out. Oh, God. It
0: never does. <laughs>
3: Well, I'm glad it works out for August and Jane.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. What do you mean? You know, it's a what tragic mean? romance. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> they both die in the end. What do you mean?
3: Oh, oh, wait. Is that a book we should read? I've heard that's a book.
2: <laughs> Ashlyn, write that down. Write that down. <laughs> write that down. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so we are rolling right into chapter three, just like the Q train. Uh, What is our introduction for chapter three, Sydney? We have a bad Yelp review for the, I wrote
3: MTA. Let me double check what MTA means. Uh, Chapter three, chapter three. Oh, there it is. Yes. We have a bad Yelp review for, Oh, just as MTA lost and found. Okay. Whatever that means. But basically the person who's writing the review cannot find their lost items like it's literally a one star and i put in uh in here origin of scarf question mark but i also noted i noted the timestamps on all this too by the way so in chapter one it was 2019 in chapter two it was also 2019 and then in chapter t- three this web article is dated in 2012.
1: I have a question for you following that. Have you
3: ever written a bad Yelp review? Just curious. (laughs) I have not personally. I've been tempted. Mm. But the reason I have not is because I just don't care enough to write a bad review or a good one like and that's kind of how i view yelp reviews like you either have the best experience of your life or it's the worst and you have to complain about it to the internet because you're so mad
2: (laughs) my little research heart is burning for you right now that is (laughs) that is actually like such a real phenomenon i'm gonna geek out listeners for like 0.5 seconds if you'll humor me (laughs) Um, if you're ever approached to complete surveys for any kind of research study or like they ask you to like fill out a review or a survey for like a service you received in like the restaurant industry, for example, most often the responses that folks will get back on the researcher in are either very positive or very negative. And it's because of that emotional response and that memorability of the experience that drives people to even participate in reviews uh in the first place. And so if you had like an average experience you're most likely not going to document it so
3: exactly exactly and also even if i do really have a really great experience or a really bad experience i'm just like i don't care enough to put that out there (laughs) unless unless it's a book review (laughs) well i've read some book reviews and i'm like you didn't read the book obviously (laughs) or you just didn't get it and that's fine you didn't have to write a bad review the girls yeah. who get it
2: get it and the girls who don't 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 <laughs> and apparently this girlie who lost their belongings on the mta line doesn't get it no sharing is caring queen back off
3: yeah she doesn't get that in a couple years that this will be really cute and
2: for sure for sure and she'll never know no <laughs> Anyway uh chapter three starts with august receiving an envelope in the mail from her mother with case updates uh reporting on the cold case disappearance of <gasps> drumroll, roll please thank you oh sorry
3: that was her- a helicopter going by again <laughs> <laughs> christian gray no uh, the disappearance of
2: her uncle bum, bum, bum. Augie, yes, her mom has sent her information on a possible informant in the Brooklyn area for August to look into, who may know something about where her uncle Augie has gone. Supposedly, assuming he's not dead. But August is reluctant. She moved to New York to crave a little bit of independence and normalcy um, from this lifetime of sort of being raised in the shadow of the investigation of her uncle. And while in this chapter she admits that, you know, she definitely has an affinity for investigative or of work, it, she kind of felt shoehorned into it. And this was sort of her way of. Sort of delaying the inevitable of sort of falling into that work with her mom, getting a little bit of breathing room and figuring out who August is and what August wants to do. So yeah. she doesn't look any further beyond the first page of this envelope and just kind of tucks it away and we don't get to see it for a while. <laughs> yep. But Myla, uh, having seen this sort of like, rumination over this envelope, attempts to comfort August by offering ice cream and, well, basically info dumping about her own family dynamics and problems to her. And for some reason, that helps. I don't know. I'm a therapist type friend. It doesn't help me. (laughs) You know what?
3: Sometimes you just going to learn that other people also have weird families. Maybe that makes you feel better about your own, you
1: know? Trauma dumping, trauma bonding.
2: (laughs) That's true. Trauma bonding. That's how it starts. But August and Mila go trauma bond over some records of Mila's room. So that's kind of how that scene. (laughs) Yep. And then we get another time skip. uh, And August is working a graveyard shift at Billy's and chatting to a drag queen who has stopped in after her performance. It turns out that this drag queen's name is any depressant. and happens to be her neighbor and her name out of drag is Isaiah. And as Cindy mentioned earlier, we learned that Isaiah has sort of this like will they, won't they seemingly unrequited crush with August's roommate, Wes. Time skips again and August fumbles into Jane on the Q train once more uh, with a violent jerk from the subway. Uh, Jane's sort of like, it's very much a moment of like, you know, crying into my coffee tits, except your coffee tits are on Jane. Yep. I don't know. It's cute. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Jane catches her effortlessly because of course she does. And then there is a blackout on the train and... They're basically delayed indefinitely for the time. Uh, and everyone just sort of hunkers down for the long call. Presumably it's going to be quiet. Everyone's a little bit grumbly, missing their commutes. And this is kind of the first time when Jane and August have like a really proper conversation. Um, Jane asks her a lot of questions, why she's on the train, where she's coming from, when she moved to New York, etc. But August kind of dodges these questions and volleys it back to Jane, who also dodges the questions a bit. They're not really forthcoming with information on either side. Maybe Argus a little more so than Jane, but there's a lot of mystery to them both uh, and mm-hmm. in this interaction. But it's flirty banter. Nonetheless, they would do Theory. well in Love Island. They would do so good. They would do
4: so good.
1: <laughs> right. up, up with me. <laughs> <laughs> i've got a
2: text i've got a text text. islanders report to the fire pit immediately there's going to be a (laughs) recoupling i've been watching uh season 10 concurrently to date this podcast sorry (laughs) ashley loving it so far but rather than answering questions that are fired back to her, Jane points out other subway writers and asks August to sort of make up their story. And she does so with like Sherlock Holmes, BBC, like a detail of like, do you see those scratch marks on the phone charger port? That means they had shaky hands and they were under the influence of something. Like, stop bruh. it. I can't, I can't not think of that scene number miss my
3: iPhone <laughs> charger going into my phone. <laughs>
2: Every Sherlock fan, I'm convinced, is the same way. Sound off (laughs) in the comments below if you're also scarred from Sherlock BBC. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But Jane basically toys with August, giving her clues as to her own story. She empties her pockets and gives her quote-unquote, like, evidence of sorts. Most are cassettes of different eras of music, mostly oldies, kind of. Uh, Her favorite cassette is Run DMC. Good taste, Jane. Thank you very much. Uh, Which she plays and sings aloud on the Q train uh, during this, like, blackout. And to me, this is kind of where, and I've had these thoughts recurrently throughout the novel, and I'm interested to see what you think about this, Sydney. This scene in particular very much screams musical, um, it's giving enchanted vibes or like the Muppet movie vibes to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be very fore- forefront and honest here. I kinda hate musicals. I'm sorry. I do <gasps> the only one I've ever liked is Mama Mia. I will throw you a bone there, Sydney I know you love it. I actually really oh, enjoyed Mamma f- Mia. It's my comfort musical. It's really good. It's good. Maybe it's because I really like ABBA, but that's like the only one I've like enjoyed. Uh it, I don't know why I don't like them, but this is kind of a moment where I was like, I had to like put the, put the audio book on pause for a bit. And I was like, is this going to be a song and dance number every few chapters? No. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but what did you think?
3: So I get where, where you're coming from with that. Cause there's a lot of references to music and. Using that as a form of kind of like a love language or a secret thing between Jane and August. Um, So I didn't read it that way, but that's only because I have read McQuiston's other book, which is Red, White, and Royal Blue. And famously, in that book, many fans will know listeners, if you listen to this book, you will remember or read this book, you'll know what I'm talking about. But in the book, the two main characters, when they're exchanging emails, each other they quote historical figures and use that as like another form of like poetry and kind of love language sent to each other and it is very cute it's very pretentious but it's the prince of england and the first son so of course they're gonna know that so i kind of read it as like oh it's this motif again and i really enjoyed that the first time so i'm enjoying it the second
2: time you know, I actually I really, really appreciate that because that is very important context for me to have as someone that's never read anything by McQuiston. Um, I think that's, you know, that almost like gives this scene more credibility to me, knowing that this is something that they've kind of almost as like a running. I don't want to say running gag, but like running detail or like continuity between their novels. I'm interested to see what this upcoming book that they're writing, supposedly, um, if something like that is also featured in there. That's really cool.
3: I really hope so because honestly these the two sections in in Red White and Royal Blue, it is very obvious what they're quoting because they literally list the person. So I picked up on it pretty quickly because I was like, even though she's not directly saying like this is a quote about love by from this song, um, I like picked up on that very quickly and I was like, oh, okay, it's this again. And I really enjoy the continuation of that motif because I don't know I think it's cute um <laughs> I think it's really cute yeah. when you send someone you love or someone you're thinking of just a song be like hey I'm thinking of you
2: oh are you an acts of service lady
3: oh so much I'm very much an acts of service <laughs> that personal time and physical touch
2: I love that I will bear that in mind from when I romance you one of these days. Anyway, that's no. um, hmm. for off the air, though. No. <laughs> well, of course. We can't let them see romance me with your memes. I can't see Ashlyn's face this recording session, but I know she's absolutely gagging.
1: <laughs>
4: but
2: I digress. Basically, a dance party ensues on the subway, which for me, I think the, the unbelievability factor was kind of like in New York. I feel like music and, and dance and performances on subways happen all the time. And like, nobody fucking bats an eye, you know, it's like, it's yeah. like everyone's so unfazed and unmoved. It was kind of surprising to me that everyone would join in. And because I am an absolute boring woman, I cannot suspend my disbelief to save my life. Uh, and so for me in this scene, it felt a little bit musically and unlikely to happen. And I'm sitting there like, what is this? What is about to happen? But here's me defending this scene again. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> I will say, but again, from, we- from Red, White, and Royal Blue, um, from the previous work, they write very whimsically. And you just kind of have mm-hmm. to be like, like characters come back with very good comebacks very quickly. There's scenarios where you're like, I wish that this would happen in real life. And I'm glad that this all happens in this universe. I wish I could be a part of it, but it, it can never be that way.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. See, it's I feel like it's a shock whenever I tell people that fantasy is my favorite genre, because you look at me and I'm like stiffer than a plank of wood and I'm like, Everything needs to make sense. Like, this is why we're about to go on a rabbit hole. This is why I struggle with math and science, especially science, because for me, it's Mm -hmm. like I have to 100% visualize and believe and understand what's going on for me to like, be like, okay, cool, moving on. And Mm -hmm. things like chemistry and physics where you can't visualize shit and you can't like suspend that disbelief. mm -mm. I sucked at it. I sucked at it. And books are no exception i am a miserable little winch
3: and then there's me and i was like "Ooh, arts and crafts that's my favorite subject and what i'm gonna
2: do for my career i live in my imagination but that's good because that makes you such a more fun reader and i'm out here being like make it make sense (laughs) well it doesn't make me a fun reader because i'm also dyslexic
3: so sometimes i just miss things completely (laughs) All right, you win. You win. <laughs> I also will agree, physics sucks ass. If you study physics, I'm sorry, your subject sucks ass. And I hate it. And you're lame. lame Lame. Loser. What else are you going to discover? The apple already fell from the tree. <laughs> Damn.
2: Get him. Oh, my God. Uh, speaking of aha, Apple... Her blocking on your head moments. See what I did there? That was such a clunky transition. I'm sorry, don't that listen was to me. So bad. Uh, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. We try. Um, the end of this chapter is when August asks Jane on a date. She asks her to join her sort of at a bar for drinks, uh, whenever you know they get to her assembly stop or their train stop. And then Jane declines, saying that she quote, can't. She just can't. And this crushes August. And she leaves the train thinking she has been utterly and entirely rejected.
1: Yeah, of course, though, we all know there's
2: a there's a whole hundred something pages left of this book. There's 300 pages, I think, left from there. I I listened to the audio book. I don't know how many pages. (laughs) But that brings us to chapter four, Sydney. What's the advert for chapter four? Uh,
3: chapter four
2: is a missing
3: connections page on the Q Lines website. And kind of what that is, is people wanting to find other people like they thought were interesting on the train, like maybe they lost something or so on and so forth. But basically, uh, this listing is from 2007 and someone basically writes about how hot Jane is and how they only saw her for a second, but they couldn't get her out of their minds. So they were wondering if, like, to basically to uh, get in connection with Jane.
2: It's very much like those old Craigslist posts from, like, the 2010s where people will be, like, missing connection or whatever of, like... I saw you. You were wearing this. You were at this place. I want to smuckle your fuckles, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I did think, I, I do
3: think it's either this one or it's another one, but they talk about the beautiful, um, like the beautiful woman who is wearing red converse on the, on the queue.
2: I wish a stranger on the internet would pine after me like that. Oh, Damn. I love this.
3: It's called uh, Butch Is this? No, that's chapter five. Never mind, because chapter five is Butch on
2: the Q train. And I love that. (laughs) (laughs) What a cold open. We love it. But chapter four is relatively short content wise. Um, Basically, August returns home from being utterly rejected. And Nico, being the psychic, picks up on her emotional distress. Basically, she sort of unveils to him about what happened between her and Jane. And upon hearing exactly the wording Jane used, saying like, I can't, I just can't. Mila and Nico both encourage her to try again. And for me, I was actually pleasantly surprised by this scene um, because usually I feel like miscommunication tropes like this are often dragged out far longer than necessary. I'm someone that is a huge no-no for miscommunication things. And so I was very interested to see how this would pan out. Um, so I'm very glad they like nipped it in the bud pretty much almost right away. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was very impressed with how this was handled. I don't know about you.
3: I, I really liked that too. And, but I also love August. just being like, I'm going to avoid the queue for the rest of my life. So I never see her again. Cause I'm just like,
2: I would have done the exact same thing. I'd be like, I can't do it anymore. I'm too embarrassed. Absolutely. I internalize failure. Like nobody else. I get it. Felt that. Hence why I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and I am studying to be a therapist. Cause I can't afford one. Hmm. <laughs> <sighs> What? Anyway, um, we also learn in this conversation as they're all kind of like standing around in the kitchen uh, from a photo on the fridge, uh, August is sort of poking around and points to a picture of a little child and says, like, oh, who is this? And Nico pipes up and says, oh, well, that's me. And from this conversation, we learn that Nico is trans and In this, in the course of this, they actually add a picture, a Polaroid picture, I might add, of August to the fridge, and it's giving very strong found family vibes. And I liked it. Family is my favorite trope. I know.
3: It's very cute. I I love it so much when it's done well. Oh.
1: Fantastic chef's kiss.
2: But speaking of photos, later that week, August spots a photo from 1976 on the wall of Pancake Billy's. And this photo is sort of this like black and white grayscale photo of the restaurant's grand opening back in the seventies. And in this photo is Jane Sue looking the exact same as she does on the Q train.
3: Dun, dun,
1: dun. Yes. We have a mystery on our hands. Is she a but ghost? Is
3: she a vampire? She, she uh... As is this, if is this you can outrun me. This is just a killer. <laughs> is she what all doctors
2: fear? And you have to check out the link in the bio, in the bio to find out why I they hate her. I didn't know where you were going with that for a second. That is the funniest <laughs> shit. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh god, doctors fear her.
3: Doctors hate her. Find out <laughs> why.
2: <laughs> uh, speaking of finding out why, how does chapter five start?
3: Oh, actually, wait, before we move on to chapter five, I wanna point out that uh, they changed their group text and we also did it. Because they were talking about how they all need to eat other things that like fruit and how they changed their group text to scurvy, flirting and thriving and how we also added that to our group text.
2: <laughs> oh, good catch. I must have missed that part in this chapter. Maybe I got distracted. I low key, I'm not going to lie, for the past few weeks, I've been wondering why our group chat is named <laughs> scurvy, flirting, whatever. And thriving. And thriving. Thank you.
3: Yep. Yep. That's why.
2: (laughs) As a side Uh, note for listeners, we will often change our group chat name to reflect the travesty or a a niche reference of the books that we are reading.
3: Yep. I think last time for Social Distance, wasn't it Rip Gabe's Bike or
1: something like that? Might have been. (laughs) All I remember is that from the mystery, it was Let's Fuck Thursday.
3: Yeah. Yep.
2: Love to see it.
3: Because <laughs> originally we were trying to
2: record that day.
3: <laughs> and I knew. Uh so chapter five, we have a classified ad uh, basically for Jane because someone wants to be her sugar dad, her sugar mommy. <laughs> and uh, this one though is dated. So this is in the newspaper because this is dated.
1: In 1983.
2: The fact that sugar mamas were like an open and available public thing in the 80s, I'm jealous.
3: It was a personal ad, so it's not like you're saying, like, I'm a lady. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, it does say, because it says this wealthy, (laughs) older businesswoman can provide you a life of sensuality and luxury. When is it my
2: turn? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, damn, Jane. <laughs> Jane poor the wells. Them. Yeah. Save some for the rest of us. Damn. Ah. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Basically at the start of chapter five, August is in full-blown like detective mode, and she seeks out Nico at his bar and shows him this photo from 1976 of Jane. And like, quote, I don't even remember the context of this line anymore, but I loved it so much that I wrote it down. Quote, Bella Swan, eat your little horny Mormon heart out. Dude, so like, I wonder how Lauren's going to feel about this. I stopped the audiobook and I said, write that down, write that down, write that down. <laughs> I want a tattoo so bad. <laughs> Bella Swan, eat your Mormon heart out. I love it. khaki skirt and all. Yep. <laughs> but, Basically, Nico guesses that Jane is sort of like this apparition or ghost, but potentially one that doesn't even know that she's dead. Kind of like a a spirit with like unresolved, you know, feelings or business following their death. And he wants to meet Jane to get a better sense of what's going on with her. But for now, before they can arrange that, they pulled the little gang together to do a seance with the homies, because that's what I also like to do. Let's do a seance. (laughs) Whoop, whoop. Uh, I believe they wait a couple of days for like a full moon type of witchy shit, uh, at which point uh, they return back to Nico's bar to sort of like break it in her after hours to set up the seance. And Isaiah, their neighbor, catches them in the process of breaking in. And instead of being a responsible adult, um, literally offers to join them. So... This is love why icon.
3: <laughs> I, this is why I love Isaiah, because they're just like, yeah, why not? I'm going to hop
2: in on the bullshit. You feel like seance? Say less. Yes. But when they tried to do the seance, Jane did not answer their call from beyond. And Nico declares that means that Jane's not dead. August isn't entirely satisfied by this. And in sort of this like fit of like. I've got to know what the fuck's going on with this hot woman. She drags Nico basically by the collar. I like to imagine to the subway for an impromptu trip to see Jane on the Q train. And she's there as she always is. And when the train takes off, Nico has to put a hand on August's waist to sort of catch her from falling. Cause you know, it's like a Rocky liftoff basically. Um, and this sort of like draws the attention of Jane. And this is sort of the first point in the novel where we see very definitive signs of interest from Jane. It was a very sweet like, oh, is there something going on between these two kind of moments? And this, I will say, was kind of the moment where I was starting to be like, OK, maybe I like these two. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm kind of into it. I like yeah. a little jealousy, as we have established. Yeah, we already knew that. I was like, oh, Lauren's going to like this part. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it, especially because I find Nico so hot. Full disclosure, <laughs> I've been I've been thirsting over Nico for so long, and it's largely in part because the audiobook reader puts on such a sexy voice for Nico. Mm-mm. Criminal. <laughs> but uh, Nico catches her around the waist, and Jane sort of raises an eyebrow to it, and he basically then reveals that he has a girlfriend, obviously Mila. Uh, And August swears that she, quote, sees Jane's face relax. And I was like, girl, how do you not know that this woman's into you? I digress. But during their conversation, Nico gets the opportunity to shake Jane's hand. And they're both sort of immediately suspicious of each other. And after this interaction, Jane becomes a little bit shifty and sort of is dodging kind of the conversation with Nico. And so shortly after, you know, they say their goodbyes and Nico and August exit the Q train in search of tacos, because what better seance food than tacos? And August gets the idea to rush back on the returning line to Brooklyn on the Q train, because it basically should be impossible for Jane to be on there. And guess what, listeners? Bum, ba, ba, bum. Jane is there. And there's no physical way that she could have been on this line, and yet she's there.
4: Mm. and even better they're alone on the train alone? utterly and irrevocably alone without without chaperones? a scandal
2: <laughs> sorry they didn't say five room for Jesus
3: five room? <laughs> sorry oh, wow. five room, you need five room for Jesus <laughs>
2: Um, the with, how, with how much chemistry with how much chemistry is coming off of these two they would need five room for jesus <laughs> five train cars for jesus five train cars for jesus love it uh but basically in this aloneness august starts poking around the questions of jane's age and she's and jane, jane basically grows more defensive and visibly scared by this line of questioning She sees the photo of her at Billy's from 1976 and does, in fact, confirm that it's her in this picture. But she also seems to think that today's date is also 1976. She Mm -hmm. can't recall when she last got off the subway or anything before getting on, except for Billy's, which August has been reminding her of. She doesn't even remember her own name. And we learned that the name Jane is just something she found embroidered on the inseam of this jacket that she's wearing. And it's becoming this dawning realization on August's part that who who is this girl and
1: what are we even doing here?
2: Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on this unveiling mystery?
3: I. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Honestly, I was really into it and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time travel. I think that's what's going on. But then the reveal that Jane didn't even know her name and only knew it from the tag just got me so much more interested because I had a theory like I was like, oh, well, what if what if Jane just like is time traveling like she's just a time traveler and she goes back from 1976 to now for some reason But the fact that there's memory loss and then all of these instances of her throughout time, I was like, ooh, okay." I'm more like I got more and more intrigued. And actually, the question I wrote at the end of this was like, what was your theory of why Jane was stuck on the train or how Jane?
1: Like did all of this? Ooh. Hmm. So I had a
2: feeling that it had something to do with like. So obviously she's from the 70s. We've like established this at this point. I think my initial impression was that. Something had happened along the way and she sort of like. Almost got stuck in sort of like a time loop type thing where like, I mean, I have a background where I like I watched a lot of BBC, obviously as we know from this podcast. Um but I, I was very much thinking Doctor Who of like maybe she was kind of a time traveler and like some shit happened and then she got stuck in this time loop of like she can't remember anything before or after and she's maybe it's like the subway is like her TARDIS in a sense. Um mm-hmm.
3: but I wasn't See, quite sure.
2: Mm-hmm. See I
3: kind of was thinking what if it was kind of like a groundhog day kind of thing. Where she kind of just, it wasn't like she was repeating the same day over and over again. Because obviously the the passage of time for everyone else was going on. But what if she was kind of stuck in that loop where she was just on the train and it was just a constant repetition of day in, day out. And she was just, and she couldn't remember why or where she was going or when she Mm -hmm. should have actually gotten off, you know?
2: Like a fifty-first
3: states kind of thing, very much that, yeah.
1: Huh.
3: well, I suppose we'll find out, won't we?
2: Nails,
3: or have we already found that out, and we're just talking to you from the future? Who knows?
2: <laughs> Are we in a time loop? Oh no! <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's time looping: that Freddie Fazbear gif shaking his ass <laughs> in our Discord. Stop looking at it, please. Can't. stop. It's like a train wreck. You can't look away. Oh, anyway, <laughs> why don't you kick us off with chapter six?
3: So in chapter six, we actually get a published poem from none other than Jane herself, which I found very interesting because mm-hmm. we don't know anything about Jane because Jane doesn't know anything about Jane. So... To read something that was a part of that past that we had no idea of yet was very interesting. Um, here, I'm trying to find it now. I had it, and then I put my book down by accident. So. Da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. Passage of time. It is an article from something called Go Out from July 25th, 1976. Oh, wait. I just realized the significance of that. Um, okay. Oh, that hurt. But the poem from Jane says, I left a bloodstain on that booth over there. I kissed that bartender. That one slept on my couch last week. Anybody who says punk isn't queer doesn't know what punk is.
1: You're right.
2: So. August has now started skipping work and school to help Jane find ways to get off the train. That kind of rhymed. Uh, they try jumping off at all the different stops on the queue line, but Jane will just simply reappear, whether it's in the same train car, a different train car. Regardless, she seemingly can't leave the queue train at all. Later on. August is working another shift at Pancake Billy's where she asked the line cook named Jerry about that photo of Jane that she found from the opening in 1976. The cook sees the photo um, was also present for the photo. So he should definitely remember, but seemingly doesn't seem to remember Jane at all. And this absolutely Mm -hmm. puzzles August. So one week passes and August at this point, is trying different variations of like bagel slash coffee orders. Um, things basically from Pancake Billy's that Jane could possibly maybe like reminisce about. It's sort of like an unlocking of a repressed memory type deal. Um, she tries different mm-hmm. for bagel and coffee combinations until Jane unlocks a memory of having this huge sweet tooth. And she also slowly starts to remember songs on that she listened to on a cross-country hitchhiking trip. And eventually this sort of spirals into sort of a long uh, trial and error process of August presenting little tidbits of information and Jane clinging to them and recalling on memories. And I'm going to be missing a lot because truly we uncover a lot about Jane's past. But the broad strokes that I took away are basically we find out that Jane sort of had a bunch of short flings with women that she fell in and out of love with very quickly. Um, And this makes August quite a bit jealous. And you kind of start to wonder, was Jane a bit of a player? Sydney, what did you think?
1: She was a hundred percent a player. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I felt very similarly. I was like,
2: she's going to break August's heart. (laughs)
3: think it was more of just she couldn't make a connection with someone like super deep and just didn't want to oh Mm -hmm. also i think it's important to mention that jane did have some physical things with her uh that they kind of look over and if i remember correctly it was there was a couple things like the like her recorder and all of her tapes and the scarf and then there was also a postcard which august looked up the phone number to, and the phone number was disconnected
2: got you thank you yeah so they they continue with this trial and error process and at the same time august is catching jade up on all of the things that she's missed out on now that we're in the 2020s August catches her up on the social climate about, you know, obviously how gay rights are much more of a thing now than they ever were in the 70s. She avoids the topic of COVID, of course. Um, And what happened there yet? This book came out. Uh,
3: This book took place in 2019.
0: Oh, did it? Yeah. The book takes place in 2020, but it is written in a universe that doesn't include COVID. (gasps) I love that. <laughs> mm. See, I
2: know they. I know I. I intentionally wrote they avoid COVID for some reason. I don't remember why, but that makes a lot of sense. Interesting. I didn't catch that. That's really interesting. Mm.
3: And one day, including all these social
2: changes, August introduces Myla to jay We mm-hmm. find out from this conversation that August. Clearly, I make very important takeaways. The first thing I wrote was August likes Zaps chips, um, which for me was crucial and my love for August. Because yep. <laughs> Zapp's Chips Cajun Crawl are the best chips ever. Sponsor me, ho. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sponsor me because <laughs> I'm
1: a
3: potate ho. A potato.
2: <laughs> yeah. Very good choice of chips. Uh, side note too. Zapp's Chips are a New Orleans and Southeast specific thing. Um, they do not sell them anywhere else. And
3: I don't get them where I live. <laughs> I'd never experienced them until I moved down South. <laughs> mail me a bag.
2: <laughs> um, I will mail you a whole box full. Thank you. Uh, but Mila basically in this conversation makes August crush on Jane, just like horrendously obvious um, and insists that Jane likes August back as they're sort of reflecting on the conversation afterwards, which for me uh, literally would have sent me digging my own grave that I would die on the spot. Um, Yeah. And on their way back to the station, they see a notice for impending maintenance and shutdown on the queue line in a few months time, starting in September. And obviously this is a major problem because Jane's memory tends to go fuzzy sort of when August is not around. And so consistency is really key and jogging that memory. And if the queue line goes down for, you know, indefinite maintenance, it's basically going to be like starting all over again if they even see Jane again at all.
3: Yeah. I actually wrote down, um, cause I just wrote out, ah, Jane realized she was stuck after meeting August, like more connected to mm-hmm. this place and this time because of August. And I was just like, oh, my heart. Oh, my
2: little romantic heart. <laughs> we love to see it. Oh. Uh, Yeah, basically, they spend kind of the rest of the chapter theorizing on, like, what's going on with Jane and how to possibly rescue her from this, you know, Groundhog Day type thing to pull on your reference. Um, Milo proposes that Jane must have been knocked out of time while on the Q train sometime in the 70s. And basically, the conversation that follows, which... For me, it was a little bit difficult to follow. Uh, Maybe it's because I was reading or I was listening to the audiobook version and doing other things simultaneously. But I think this is kind of a trend that I will preface throughout the rest of this plot summary. I feel like a lot of the discussion surrounding like the theories of what happened to Jane and like how to potentially resolve it were kind of lost on me. They tended to get a little convoluted. And I feel as though I could have benefited from reading the physical copy of it to get a better understanding but in summary just know it's basically a bunch of Tenet by Christopher Nolan type things and River Song Doctor Who talk um about yeah. converging timelines and you know like one person traveling in one direction the other traveling backwards but they're meeting in the middle at these like crosshair points it's it's a lot of mumbo jumbo that you only understand if you're a major loser i'm kidding um that was aggressive yeah. i'm sorry um my last note for this chapter is I'm just going to read it verbatim and I quote, Why the fuck are they horned up on this public train? And why is Jade insisting this is helping her remember an ex? Bahahaha.
3: I wrote down they kiss in all, in all caps.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, we have the first kiss scene
3: and I freaked out. <laughs> I can't believe that's the note I wrote. <laughs> Why are they so horned up on public transportation and why are we
2: doing it so Jane remembers an ex? Oh, long story short, they smooch because August is like for research purposes and Jane's like, and then they kiss.
3: (laughs) Jane's like, yes, for research, looking at August and August being the research. (laughs) I love it. I loved it. I was like, it's cringy because. It's such a weird way to get there, but I love them both being awkward
2: and being like, we just want to make out
3: (laughs) for (laughs) scientific purposes.
2: For me, this was further evidence of like an underlying miscommunication trope, but done in a way that it didn't feel glaringly like miscommunication. Like it felt just kind of like cheesy, like, oh, this is like a first kiss, but not really type thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't mind it personally. I, I I wasn't in love with how it panned out and I wasn't like kicking my little feet. Um, my little footsies, as we like to say on this podcast. But, you know, it was nice. I was like, OK, I'd rate it a six out of ten.
3: <laughs> you know what? Now that you say it's a kind of a miscommunication thing, I 100% agree with that. But I was kicking my little footsies. <laughs> it's OK. That's, I know, That's valid. I was just going to say, listeners, if you ever want that on a piece of merch, let us know. Kicking my little footsies and tootsies. Kicking my little footsies, because we all know if you're reading romance, you're kicking your footsies when something cute happens. (laughs) I'll wiggle my little tootsies. Okay, we're moving on. Chapter seven. (laughs) (laughs) There's a police report for Jane because Jane punched uh, a homophobic ass. Um, and that was back in
2: 1992. Yo. More subway shenanigans ensue. More women that Jane <laughs> was kissed ensue. More making out that ensues only for research purposes. It never changes.
3: <laughs> I just wrote down August and Jane kiss dot, 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 dot. A lot. in in, in parentheses very hot (laughs) not not very hot oh
2: the romance and the actual erotica in this book is so good (laughs) you know both cindy and i have experiences with having read slash listened to the smut in this novel in interesting locations that we will tell you when the time arises. (laughs) That'll be in part two, so you have to stay Um, tuned. Indeed. But at this point, August is meeting with an advisor at Columbia and is told that she can graduate after only one more semester. And this sort of sends her into an existential crisis of sorts of basically not being ready to graduate and move into the real world where she has to make decisions about who she is, who she wants to be, etc. Jane knows relatable for sure. Jane knows something is wrong uh, when they're back on the Q train and tries to help. But August is a little resistant. And instead, Jane prompts her to clear her head with a, quote, adrenaline leap of faith, where basically she invites her to jump from one moving subway car to the other. Granted, this is not like some Jason Bourne type. We're going to, you know. like run across the top of this train and go crazy and death defying stunts. It is a relatively short jump, but of course it's scary. You know, you're out with the wind whipping, you're going super fast on an electrified train rail. And this is such a nerve-wracking experience for August, who, as we're learning, has a very difficult time trusting herself and her instincts. Mm -hmm. And this exercise is Jane teaching August how to take leaps of faith with herself. And eventually, not only is it cute, because they're like embracing each other but it's also thrilling and august enjoys it i didn't get
3: that until you just said that
2: i got you the <laughs> literal leap of faith his it, it was a very clever scene i liked that one but after they finished you know subway surfing um i 23 female jumped from train cars oh with my God, 24 no. females <laughs> When they settle in for the rest of the journey, Jane insists that August is like full of potential and that the world is hers to take, and she's already making a difference with helping Jane discover her past as her quote best friend. No. I know. This crushes something in August and me. And me. Um yeah. especially when Jane follows this comment, the whole best friend comet with a desire to return to the 70s. Yeah. Later, Jade messages August, so like quick detour. August has given her a cell phone so they can be in contact outside the Q-tray. Anyway, later, Jane messages August to check a particular radio station. Jane has requested a song by the Runaways that she remembered he giving um head to back in the day. Um And this trend basically continues multiple times, like, you know, Jane will request a radio song and August tries not to read between the lyrics of being like, is this about me? Is this about a fling you had in the 70s, et cetera? It's all very will they, won't they? And kind of cute. I'm a little into it. Mm hmm. Uh, It kind of reminds me of that book you recommended me, Sydney, 50 in reverse. It's just very like old 70s music flavored. And I liked it. Yes.
3: Yes. It definitely reminds me of that, too
1: but this chapter oh please go
3: i was actually just gonna bring up because i think this happens before august actually gets anxious for college because i think this is the also the chapter where we find out that
1: billy's is closing hold on (laughs) quick detour did i not write that down hold on yeah it's in chapter seven Dang, I really just did not write that down. It's okay. That's Here, on me.
0: Hey Lauren, if you had the doc open. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Ashlyn! I wrote a whole
2: script for this. Okay. James strapped. I came prepared. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> I would say you. I did pretty well. I did we pretty you. well. My hair was falling out of my skull. And I was doing this. Um, also, I love... Um, <laughs> Ashlyn's note, which is dot dot dot. Who
3: gave Jane the phone? <laughs> we all kind of we all kind of missed parts. It's okay. Anyway, so before um actually August went to the appointment with her college advisor, that's when it's revealed that Billy's will be closing, not because they aren't making enough money. Um, well, they aren't making enough money, but basically their rent is being increased in New York City. Fuck landlords. And they do not have the funds to purchase the property in which Billy's is on,
1: and it's closing at the end of the year. So that kind of adds that kind of adds to August's um, existential crisis.
2: For sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Sorry. Uh, at the end of this chapter, following the revelation that Billy's is closing, and then taking the leaps of faith with Jane. August enlists Wes and Isaiah to help her pick up furniture from a Craigslist order uh, all the way across town. And basically, during this cute little car ride, starts putting together the pieces that Wes also has a crush on Isaiah and that it's not so unrequited after all. She confronts him about it later and Wes claims that, quote, he disappoints Isaiah and that Isaiah doesn't deserve to be disappointed. And it's kind of an awkward and interesting uh, wording. And the conversation dies there. And then we're at chapter
1: eight. <laughs> I
3: wrote, Oh, Wes, you aren't a disappointment. No. Poor baby. Uh, um, and I also wrote down, because I think this is kind of important, the fact that at this point, August has not had a physical, like permanent bed. And she only has like a couple of her objects. And the fact that she's purchasing a mattress, which is notoriously difficult to move, I think starts to show her making a more Getting more comfortable with a more permanent residence. Hmm. Very good catch. I did not pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she asked Wes and Isaiah, Wes, who she probably hasn't been hanging out with as much, and Isaiah, someone she's probably possibly only known a couple times. I like. That's what I picked up. I was like, oh,
1: me you comfy.
3: Don't you?
1: Well,
2: speaking of getting comfy, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm so shit at these transitions. Um, what? How does chapter eight start? <laughs> um We get another lost connections tab,
3: uh, but this time from 1999, um, and basically all I wrote was Jane makes all of the ladies swoon. <laughs> it's another lady being like, I just saw this gorgeous woman on the train, and I need. And if you are her, please, 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 please contact me. Hmm.
2: Which is crazy to me because I feel like not in a billion years would that ever happen to me or the majority of people. <laughs> Lauren, you are so hot. Don't even. Oh, no, I'm not undermining that. I'm just saying okay. that is like a whole new level of like. I just It's so hard for me to believe that people would make an anonymous forum post being like, you stranger, I'm in love with you at first sight it was the 90s it was the 90s but
3: did you want to exchange my spaces like that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue
2: that's true that's true but neither does hey girl let me get your snap (laughs) (laughs) rip our generation god that sounded old anyway um ignore that um Basically, in chapter eight, there is a drag brunch party at Isaiah's place. And August and Co, meaning all the roomies, are all invited, as well as surprise guests Lucy and Winfield from Pancake Billies. It's kind of revealed in this chapter that Winfield does drag alongside antidepressant uh, slash Isaiah and that he's also dating Lucy. What an unlikely pair. I love them together. (laughs) I do, too. Lucy is a badass I love her yeah
3: you really see the more the more motherly side coming out of her really there for sure not even motherly just sagely like just knows things about the world
2: absolutely and that this is my home and I'm gonna walk all over it I run these streets type mentality 100 percent. but long story short the party's ballin there's a bunch of drunken camaraderie and august is no exemption from this she gets so plastered that she calls jane on her phone who has basically been blowing up her their text messages thus far um which was mm-hmm. really cute um and carries her around the party in like her pocket can i say something vulgar go ahead it takes pocket pussy to a whole new level It do. It do. Also praise it and blaze it. That's what I wrote for the Easter brunch. (laughs) Praise it and blaze it. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah, they do indeed. Uh, A lot of people get crossed. A lot of people in general get drunk. um, And basically, August spends the entire time at this party talking to Jane on the phone and just participating in a bunch of the different shenanigans. Eventually, Isaiah notices... Uh, Jane talking sort of in her pocket and insists that Jane comes to the party. Obviously, Jane cannot do that. So they bring the party to her instead. They throw this really lavish, again, musical style party, in in my opinion, uh, for Jane on the Q train. And while they party, August is basically fueled by so much alcohol bravado that she asks Jane in the most like sultry, like confidence that we've ever seen August have so far. If she has ever, quote, kissed any girls taller than her. Jane says no. And August teases that it would be, quote, too bad because they can't kiss to recreate memories then. But they kiss anyway. And it's the first real non for research purposes kiss. (laughs) It was so good. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I actually really liked this scene. I was super into it. It was a little steamy, too, if I remember correctly. Oh, it was so steamy. It was so steamy. Dot, dot, dot. Until Jane yeah. breaks off the kiss when she tastes peanut and sesame paste on August's mouth. And all of a sudden, she remembers that her name's not Jane, her name is Biu. And her memories all start flooding back.
3: Dun, dun, dun! And this is where uh,
1: our half review of One Last Stop ends.
2: Some well, we might have, say we have two last stops and this is <laughs> the first. <laughs> oh my God, that was awful. I love you. 10 p.m. at night and I worked nine to five. Please, please spare me. <laughs> now,
0: i think we do have some questions from ashlyn always i always have questions not always good questions but i have them so my first question is how do you feel about the snippets of like third-party information that we get about jane at the beginning of
1: each chapter
2: lauren i'll let you take this first I will preface this by saying I don't have particularly strong feelings, but I will say in sort of hindsight, I took very thorough notes, apparently not as thorough as I should have been. But I'd like to think I took very thorough notes uh, in preparation for this podcast. And one of the things I consistently left out were those like third party sort of like snippets. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy them, but they almost felt to me as like somewhat irrelevant. And maybe looking back, having already read it, I appreciate them a little bit more. But at the time, it was kind of a scenario where I felt like, okay, we all know something is clearly up with Jane. She has been on the Q train since the 70s. I didn't think it really added all that much context to Jane as a character beyond the first few and that one poem that she wrote. And everything else sort of just felt more like witty banter of like, yeah, we get it. Jane's hot sort of thing. But I didn't mind Mm -hmm. it overall. I just didn't feel like it was super relevant or necessary.
3: Mm -hmm. I will say reading back on them now, I actually really enjoyed them throughout the book when I first read it. Reading back with them now, I think it gives a really interesting. Glimpses into when read listeners, you'll learn about why Jane is throughout this time and I won't spoil that right now. But you begin to see a lot of the foreshadowing of why Jane appears throughout history and I think it's just interesting because we are getting like these random snippets like some of them are 10 years apart, a year apart and then we get 20 years. I think that was really interesting and that's kind of why I kept up with it cuz I was like So obviously, yeah, something's up with Jane. But why is she showing up randomly through history, kind of? So that's kind of why I was tracking it.
0: How do you feel about the use of magic and spiritualism and like surrealism in this book? So far. I I
1: really
3: liked it. I would definitely more classify this book as more of magical realism more than sci-fi. Personally, because sci-fi, I feel like there's scientific explanations in the universe for why something happened. And yes, I guess you could argue there are explanations of that in the book. But I feel like a lot of the time things are just happening and there's no real explanation as to why it's just kind of happening. And it's kind of like Encanto in that way. Like you don't know why Mirabelle doesn't have powers at the end and she doesn't get any at the end. Sorry, spoilers for Encanto If you haven't watched it, my bad. Um, But I kind of felt the same way. Like I, I enjoy it, but you kind of have to understand that you may not get all of those explanations.
1: I'll agree with
2: this one for sure. Um, Even as someone that I, as I already mentioned, is really difficult to suspend my disbelief and Everything sort of has to have its place in logic and form and explanation for me to sort of roll with something like magical realism or fantasy or sci-fi, you name it. I felt like this book never strayed too far into disbelief for me, for the most part. Um, there were definitely times, and we'll touch on this in part two, but there are definitely times when explanations lost me a bit, but it wasn't in the vein of like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's so unbelievable. It was more just like it was very complex. And mm-hmm. I just like wasn't paying thorough enough attention to fully grasp it myself. But in terms of like spiritualism, especially, I guess, like more on the part of Nico's character, I think that's what made me love Nico the most. Uh, it's no secret Nico is my favorite character. Yep. And I think it almost makes the other characters shine more because in a book where you have a main character that's literally lost supposedly in time and has a whole past and a history and you know their love is so profound and interesting and you know it's very impressive to have a sideline of characters that can equally hold that weight and in some cases for me I actually liked them better than what was going on with the main characters so I think it's very talented for McQuiston for being able to do that
3: Lauren This is me requesting that you also read Red, White, and Royal Blue because you're going to love, love the side characters in that too because it's the exact same in that book. I'll add it to my list. (laughs) The question is just a really great writer when it comes to side characters. Like, None of them feel like side characters. They feel like fully realized people. Like, They aren't just there for plot, you know? Mm -hmm. I admire that a lot. It's really good. 10 out of 10.
1: How do you guys feel about PDA on public transit? (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) Cindy, you go. You go
3: first. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) I think, okay. I don't like hand-holding a quick smooch on the lips or the cheek. That's fine. (laughs) If you are full on making, I don't know. I think making out to me is grosser, is a grosser idea than someone having sex. Like, I don't know
1: why. I think.
3: I just don't want to see you sharing mouth germs and. People very much like to romanticize French kissing. When you see other people do it, it is so gross. I hate it.
2: <laughs> I have strong feelings about this topic. Let me tell you, I, I'm very similar to you, Sydney. I am very PDA averse in my own life, like even more so than than what you described. Like I'm very intolerant of PDA in my own relationships and day-to-day going abouts. And I recognize I'm maybe a little bit too strict on it, too phobic of PDA. But oh my god, if you were tonguing down someone in the subway, I'm gonna call you a band kid because I yeah. am a born and bred band kid. Maybe I'm traumatized from it. I don't know. But I I just can't like I will say on a on a more serious note, I think Mila and Nico are actually a very good example to me of a couple that I would sort of want sort of in my, in my space and my friend group. Cause to me, it never mm-hmm. got to the point where they felt too PDA strong. And I know maybe that's because they weren't the focus of the novel, but for me, all of their interactions felt like friends first lovers second. And that's something that really appeals to me. Um, yeah. I want to be able to hang out in spaces with the folks where I don't feel like a third wheel or that I'm not third wheeling others. And a lot of that I think does come down to PDA. And for me, I think It's not important for me to be canoodled up with someone, uh, especially not on a freaking subway train. (laughs) There were so many times I had to put this book down and be like, "Oh, please, God, no!" (laughs) You know what? But
3: they—they literally could. They—they literally had no other options. So I was like, "Okay, it makes sense." It's also New York. It's like the other people on the train are probably like, "Meh, I've seen this before." Yeah, they probably seen worse
1: oh yeah currently
0: do you think that jane and august are a good match for each other Ooh, i think are they a good match for each other
3: well i love the chemistry between them and obviously they are very attracted to one another and i am attracted to both of them I don't think they're a good match for each other at this point, mainly for the fact about August, because she literally has dropped her responsibilities in her courses and her work and most likely her personal life living at the apartment to be with Jane and figure things out. And that's just very obsessive and a very, I think... Not a very not healthy attachment style, but I think they grow, they do grow and August doesn't do that as much kind of going forward. But as of right now, no, they are not a good match for each other because August has a very unhealthy attachment
4: to Jane.
2: Hmm. I was also going to say no, but from a different perspective, but your answer, I feel like is even better. Like I think... Yeah, that's something I didn't pick up on immediately. But looking back, we don't know who Jane is. We just learned her government name. You know, it's like, yeah, we know nothing about her. And the fact that August is sidelining all the different aspects of her life, even her shifts at Billy's like she faked pneumonia for like three weeks. Like she is literally letting all of the other aspects of her life, you know, go to the wayside for someone that she doesn't know literally anything about Mm -hmm. and possibly can't even hold on to at the end of the day. And I think it's sort of setting her up for heartbreak at this point. We also, as far as we only know, Jane doesn't have any attraction to August that we're definitively aware of, and also has a long history of, you know, sort of moving from place to place, not really settling down for anything serious. And there are things to to unpack there later in the book. But for right now, my impression of Jane was someone that just wasn't compatible with August in a relationship sense. August probably wants something more settled and domestic. And Jane, we don't know what Jane wants, you know? Yeah.
3: Um, and I think that's a really great um, tension point that we get throughout the rest of the book. And when they start building the relationship, definitely. But I will give August this this leeway jane has an age since 1976 so i would also drop everything to figure out how the fuck this person is not you know 70 years old
2: and i want to know
3: why doctors hate her
2: (laughs) (laughs) i want to know know how I can eat cookie dough every day of my life and still look like a golden glowing Jane goddess. You know, um, let me, let me remind you
3: uh, that <laughs> August 1st description of her, which I love this description, warm forever and ever brown eyes. Mm.
1: Delightful. So good.
0: Okay. My last question for you is at This point in the book, I know that technically we've all finished it. How did you think that Jane's story would end?
2: Or go first. I think because it is simply a romance novel. I assumed that no matter how it panned out or what Jane's story actually is, that they would find a way to keep her in the present. That was my thought. because. This it just didn't read. It didn't have the tone or the style of a book that let's say like me before you, for an example, that like ends in inevitable loss or like heartbreak or tragedy of some kind. It just didn't have that feel to me. And so I would have been very shocked if anything other than, you know, figuring out what's going on with Jane and then her ending up with August actually happened. But what about you, Sid?
3: I will say i also thought it was kind of going in that direction just because again you pointed out that it is a romance book and that's romance books typically end in a happy ending um and i figured that i didn't know how and i couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out how yet i had obviously i was like well jane's connected to the line somehow but i don't understand how she is And I don't and I can't tell if she has like an actual physical, like strong form or if she's kind of like a spirit in a way or how this all kind of works. But I kind of figured she wouldn't be able to go back. And I at this point thought that that would be a point of contention for the rest of the book was her coming to terms with the fact that she could not return to the 70s. Absolutely. For
1: sure.
3: but who knows what will happen because you've got to listen to part two of our review of One Last Stop by by Casey McQuiston.
2: Tune in for the second last stop on the Q train line. Are they gonna fuck on a train? Who knows? (laughs) Oh my god. Well, we know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, hi, Wally. Sorry, that's my cat screaming. Anyway, we will see you next time, everyone. And where's my list?
2: I need my list. Where's my phone? One minute. You raunchy railroad surfers. I don't know. Runchy like, subway um, surfers. How about- Sexy subway surfers. Yeah, we- <laughs> <laughs>
3: sexy, sexy subway surfers. We'll go with that. We will see
0: you all next time. Talk to you later. Bye. (laughs) Join us in two weeks for our next episode of One Last Stop, where we will discuss our final thoughts on the book. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. As always, stay raunchy.